Welcome to the Hex Knight Podcast. I am David. And I am Ivan. And today we're going to uh, continue the weep streak a little bit. Because uh, <laughs> we're going to talk about Record of Lotus War. Um, which I feel is one of those anime that like a lot of... Not a lot, but like a good chunk of people have seen as like one of their first. Because it was like available... From what I understand, it was available in the United States like pretty early on. Mm-hmm. on like VHS copies. I didn't see it until like quite some time after. Like I didn't see it when it was originally released. Um, and I'm not sure like when it was distributed in Denmark, but mm. uh, so um, I had, I think a different experience with it uh, than you did. Cause yeah. I think you had mentioned before we started that uh, you had seen it back in the day. I had seen it probably a couple years after it had been, released in the u.s like i, I think it was kind of like this like was is it on, defining, on tape or on cable uh i watched it on vhs <laughs> so you know it's the type of thing it was yeah. almost like that's, you know that, that's true anime vibe like, hmm? that's true anime vibes watching it on uh, vhs <laughs> there's that but it, it kind of broke my weebness a bit <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I was not, uh, yeah, it, it, uh, I became a bit more discerning and skeptical uh, uh, of anime after that experience. I'll, I'll go into that. Yeah. Um, I've kind of, after I just recently went through a big chunk of the series and I've revised my take, but mm-hmm. you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's a mixed bag. <laughs> it is a pretty mixed bag. Uh, I just looked up real quick. Apparently, the anime uh, was released in 1990, so I don't mm-hmm. know when it when it hit North America. Probably like in 92, 93. Yeah, a, like a little bit of a delay. Um, right. So, like a real quick like um, recap. If you're not familiar, uh, Record of Lotus War is, and yes, it is not the Lotus War. It's just Lotus. Um, is a anime show based on a um, what's called a replay. Um, so the Japanese like tabletop RPG scene is, you know, it's heavily inspired and based on like the mostly North American scene, uh, but it's also like different in certain ways. You know, every every culture kind of develops their own ways of doing things. Yeah. Uh, and one of the things that is really big over there is what's called replays. And from what I've understood, uh, they are basically like transcripts of gaming sessions. Uh, so like on forums, you'll often see people doing like uh, actual plays where they describe their game. And it's usually written out to like be a story and you get to like jazz up the dialogue a little bit and make your character sound a little cooler. Uh, but you write out like your gaming session like it was a story. Whereas with a replay, it's like a literal like the GM says, ba 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 player says but 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 like it's line by line like you are reading a uh, theater play almost cool uh often like from what i understand even including some of the like out of game talk and like side chatter and stuff like it's meant to be very like authentic to uh how the game was and some rpg books even come with a replay in the book uh so the idea is you can like read the replay and it'll teach you how to play like now you know what an actual session is right like now you can go online and see like nerds doing that, but uh, that's a good idea, especially for like educational purposes for trickier, trickier game rules. Yeah, exactly. Like you get to see how it's meant to be used, and also um, there was a video by a guy whose name I forget who is work who works in Japan, and he was saying a lot of people who are like in the RPG industry over there, that's how they got their start. They would go to a bookstore to look for fantasy stuff, and they would see like a replay for a game. They would pick it up, and they would realize, you know, like role-playing games are a thing. So it's just like a different way of getting introduced. <laughs> um, so the original like Lotus War uh, is based on a replay or a series of replays of what was originally a Dungeons and Dragons campaign. And at some point through their campaigns, they switched to another game called Sword World, uh, which is one of the biggest RPGs in Japan. It's very there's a fan translation that we actually started playing recently in my uh, Thursday group, and um, it's very like it definitely feels like playing like Final Fantasy or Dragon Quest as a tabletop game. It's very charming. Um, so but the replays I think were mostly based on like the D and D era of it, and the anime definitely in a lot of places feels like. Uh, let me tell you about my campaign. Right. <laughs> uh, so that's kind of like the background for it. So you don't need to know anything about role playing games to watch Lotus War. Um, 
but I feel like there's a lot that is definitely like kind of assumed that you already understand uh, going into it. Um, so let's, I guess, to kind of kick it off, uh, let's kind of cover like our history with this. You mentioned uh, you had seen it back in the day, right? I want to say around 1994. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that that was when like, it, that's when we all considered at least where I grew up. And granted, I, I, you know, small town living, you don't get culture. Mm. You don't have like big shops with any of this sort of stuff at all. Yeah. So, so like, what is the local book shop or video store like stock at all? Right. Right. And so someone would find something and then they would copy it onto a VHS tape. And then we'd all share it and be like, oh, man. I mean, because I think. And I think that on cable TV, there were some weird channels, you know, that would have like the manga mm-hmm. videos. So like the first anime I saw was Wicked City. Mm-hmm. So like my expe- expectations <laughs> were pretty Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, this is like out there stuff from a different culture with all this like <laughs> mutations and violence and gore. And- yeah. Um, <laughs> I remember I was watching, I think Akira was the first I saw. And I had that feeling as like a teenager that like we were watching something that like it wasn't supposed to be like legal or something. Yeah. But, yeah. There like, was definitely um, an outlaw aspect to it. Yeah. And it was something that nobody really like knew about. Right. Uh, oh, totally. Right. Like uh, I said, we were like, people would record the VHS tapes and we'd be trading them around. Mm-hmm. And so we got a hold of, I got a hold of Lotus Wars or like I was watching it with some friends mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, I mean, it definitely had more of like a, a regular, what I expected from like eighties cartoons with like the quality and the animation. Mm-hmm. And frankly, that was a bit lower than like the feature films. Oh, uh, yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> been watching. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's um, – it, it's funny you say that because, like, the obvious comparison that, like, came to mind for me uh, was the Dungeons & Dragons animated show. Yeah. Um, and if you're coming to Lotus War from that, that's a very different comparison than if you're coming from, like, coming from, like, feature-length, like, hand-drawn, like uh, – you know, like lavish animation, right? Um, right. <laughs> both in terms of like the animation, but also in terms of like uh, you know, like the subject matters and like what you could kind of do on on screen. Um, and there's a few years between. I uh, the Dungeons Dragons cartoon was like early '80s. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I remember like some one of the TV stations uh, showed it when I was a kid, and even as a kid, we I remember we thought it was kind of dopey. Yeah, I mean, I I watched that like as that was broadcast on American TV, and I was the demographic, so for me it was perfect. It was great. yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's been I do not re- I can barely remember some of the characters, and there was like the wizard guy who kind of looked like Yoda. <laughs> yeah, then, there's then, like uh, the dude had like a magic bow and right, uh, and like they never like they would like fight fight things but they never like you know you couldn't like show people like getting killed on uh yeah yeah gi joe kind of with swords dragons and magic and labyrinths and shit yeah like um a couple of years ago or like there's been a few now they had actually like done like a dvd set or like a re-release i ended up (laughs) like watching an episode of was like oh my god (laughs) this stuff is so terrible uh and i so then how would you compare those two? Well, so that's the funny thing, because, like, Lotus Wars, I think, is if, is kind of, like, in the middle. Because on one hand, it's, like, it very much wants to be, like, not a grown-up show, but it wants to be, like, it wants you to take it seriously. Like, right. you know, like, when there's combat, you see, like, dudes, like, getting heads chopped off. And it's not as gory as, like, some shit that you can see in anime. <laughs> yeah. But for, like, a mostly, like probably aimed at teenager show it gets pretty like there's some gore um you know there's all sorts of uh like they obviously want like the characters to be taken very seriously they do they spend a lot of time maybe not that successfully like uh having these like big personal and emotional dramas that i don't know if if maybe that always like lands all that well but they Mm -hmm. like they try 
And then at the same time, you have like, you know, just completely over the top, like uh, D&D plot stuff with like dragons and fates of the world and all this stuff that, you know, characters just like churning out these lines about the fate of Lotus and blah, blah, blah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like it's hard to take it like that seriously, even though it like, I think that's why like I have a soft spot for it because it's so like earnest in what it, it is desperately trying to be, you know. Right. So I'll, I'll cap off my experience building off that. So I got through episode four mm. and I was over it primarily because the series builds up Parn into this like potentially epic hero. Yeah. And he's like the second worst of the hero characters. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't, he does, he's always <laughs> bumbling, screwing things up. Like he's a complete <laughs> failure. And I was like, When's he going to do something really cool? Right. It just <laughs> never happened at that point. Like, I've kind of revised that now, but I was like, mm-hmm. this is the it, hero and he keeps screwing up. This sucks. Yeah, he's just like a dumbass who, like, bumbles around his armor. Like, every time he fights, he gets his ass kicked and somebody else Basically. <laughs> Which, like, in hindsight, like, we've all been, been in that, had that gaming session where you couldn't roll above a one. So maybe... Um, but yeah, it's weird because it definitely like wants him to be the main character, and like for a long time into the show, he's not like he's just kind of like a a bumbling dude. Like he's obviously like set up to be like the law abiding. You know, you can tell this dude wrote like lawful good on his character sheet, right? And he's like trying to like do the like everyone else around him is like more interesting because they have like they have something other than being the hero. You know, like the dwarf dude has this whole thing with the with the cleric and uh, the elf girl does like fairy magic and stuff. And uh, the wizard just like goes around and scowls at things. <laughs> like they all have people like, yeah, they're, they're all doing stuff. Yeah. And he's just like rolling around, like trying to be a hero, getting himself in trouble so people can shout at him, uh, <laughs> you know, and rescue him. Uh, so yeah, it's like a weird, you know, I don't know if that like holds up all that well. Um, I, I like I've changed my opinion a bit on that, but he's uh, definitely going like to me. That's the the biggest like this is D and D, like played out because he's definitely the the zero to hero level one character from first edition D and D. He's doing yes. exactly what those characters would do, and you can almost like tell sometimes like okay they must have leveled up because uh, now like everyone is like doing better, right? <laughs> um, and it, yeah, and there's so many little things. And it's funny because it's not like specifically accurate to like D&D in the sense of like, oh, this is like word for word how the spell works. Like it's, you know, they they jazz it up. But you can also definitely tell like what's going on. You know, you can tell when the cleric is like using lay on hands on someone and you can mm-hmm. tell like, oh, OK, this is like a dwarf and these are goblins or ghouls <laughs> or whatever. Right. So, uh, so what was your first take and experience? Yes, I watched it a lot later, and at first I thought the um, – I had watched it not as one of the very first anime shows I watched, but it was like one of the earlier ones. And I remember yeah. bouncing off it a little bit because I thought the dialogue was so bad. <laughs> uh, and I'm a lot more like immune to like goofy Japanese dialogue now, uh, so it doesn't bother me. Uh, but I did kind of like have a soft spot for it. But I think, again, like I said um, – because the contrast for me was like the the kids like D and D cartoon, uh, this felt a lot more. The problem I remember having with the D and D cartoon as a little kid was that it was cool because there wasn't that much like fantasy stuff on TV at all. So anything you could get was like you know if you were into like elves and knights and stuff, you, you know we all we soaked up anything we could get. But it was also like kind of hokey. Like it didn't feel like what the game was supposed to be like. You know like. Uh, it always felt like it was like compromised to be like a you know uh, cable um, TV show. Uh, whereas with Lotus War, I think the reason it worked for me a lot more, even the first time, was that it felt more like something that could actually like it felt more like a legit story, mm-hmm. and it felt more like something that was like okay, this feels like something that could happen in a RPG campaign or in a David Eddings book. Like it felt more like it was grounded better. In like actual like I guess nerd fantasy. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. Like you said, they they were more earnest about it and wanted the audience to care about the world and the characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one thing that surprised me uh, rewatching it, and I th- 
forget how far I am. Um, about halfway, maybe like, I think a few episodes past you, but not by much. Um, and one of the things that I didn't remember for the first time and that I actually thought was kind of cool was that uh, even the bad guys get like a fair amount of screen time. Uh, there's like yeah. the evil knight dude who like goes to fight the dragon and stuff. And he starts off being set off and like he's the brooding sinister hero. But he actually has like, you know, like they set up, he has his own like code of honor and his own. Um, there's like the evil like dark elf character and stuff. Right. Uh, which is not like always super common, even in anime at the time, you know, like a lot of times you were still stuck with like the bad guys that just like show up to twirl the mustaches and like uh, steal your crystals or whatever they do. <laughs> right. So it was more, um, felt more like full featured in that sense. Um, but I think also it suffers a lot. Like the opening couple episodes are just like, uh, they're just like, it's a really bad start to the show. Yeah, I, I don't know. To me, um, I actually really liked the first episode as just uh-huh. more kind of like setting the scene and the table. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, okay. it, it totally does feel like a D&D game. Mm-hmm. And it, it's not the problem with it is it's not it's not connected to the story in any meaningful way. Yeah, it's like this weird, like, okay, let's watch all this cool stuff, and now let's go back five years to when uh, Parn doesn't know what a sword is. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so and it's that, a- that, like, like I was really stoked on the first episode, I think, the first mm-hmm. time I saw it. Yeah. And then, again, it goes back from him being, like, legit to being this bumbling <laughs> fool. <laughs> Yeah, like, ho- hope that wasn't the character you paid the most attention to when you watched right. it the first time, because good lord. Also, it is super distracting for me uh, that Deedlid, the elf character, has these, like, friggin', like, wing-sized, like, shoulder pads on her armor. <laughs> and I don't know what they are, because nobody else is dressed like that. Like, everyone right. else wears, like, pretty reasonable gear. Uh, you know, like, a little fantasy armor, but it's not too bad. You know, most of them just chunk around in, like, coats of armor, or they have cloaks or robes or, you know. And then she comes rolling in, like, yeah, that outfit is something else, man. That's <laughs> um, a bit much. <laughs> ironically, she's the one that looks the most, like, her uh, character art looks the most like a uh, Final Fantasy character. For sure. Uh, and apparently, from what I've understood, for a long time, like, um, elf characters in um, Japanese like fantasy media just end up kind of looking like that. Like they got the ear sticking out to each side. Cause that's what the ad- animator did for uh Lotus war. I think it's pretty, it, it doesn't bother me that much, but I'll, it's also f- parallel to this comic book artist from the early nineties. He was a huge deal and he mm. was known for having like arm power armor for his characters with absurd shoulder pads. Yeah, yeah. You do like um, crazy belt patches, giant sci-fi guns that made no sense, and yeah, <laughs> huge shoulder pads is. Yeah, it, it might just be the era. Like that's just like a late '80s, early '90s thing. Like Mutant Chronicles yeah. and Warzone is like full of that stuff. Uh, <laughs> it kind of like uh, came up and like Warhammer had a bunch of it too. So. You know, yeah, if you're cool, you just have, like, huge shoulder pads. <laughs> that way you can, like, carry your your picnic basket on them or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, so one thing that's interesting is the whole thing kind of, like, went, um, like, full circle. Because after, like, the anime, and I guess there's books and stuff, too, became, like, a big thing. Then it came back around and people actually published, like, a campaign book for it for the Sword World RPG. Um, unfortunately, that doesn't. The campaign book doesn't exist in English, and I don't know if um, I idly looked on eBay to see if I could find one, but I couldn't. Um, so it ended up being like a show that was inspired by somebody's D and D game, which then in turn inspired like a tabletop game. <laughs> you know, um, but it got me thinking because I think you were the one who got me into reading Raymond Feist, the Magician series, and that was yeah. based, uh, which is pretty good. I had issues at, with some things in it. Uh, but it's a pretty good series, um, and that was apparently based on, I think, either D&D or a Rollmaster game. Mm. Uh, but for that one, like, it doesn't feel... Like, if I hadn't read that somewhere, I don't think I would have, like, guessed that this was, like, somebody's game. Mm. Uh, I don't know what you feel about it. I agree. No, I would not assume that was based off a role-playing game. 
you know, like you can kind of like knowing it, like some of the characters, they feel very much like an adventuring party. And I remember there's some stuff about, like, some of the characters in, I think, one of the later books, they have, like, very different, like, social ranks, but they're still kind of hanging out, which is very, like, you know, fantasy game. Right, yeah, yeah, that's totally a D&D thing. Yeah, you know, like, the prince and the thief, and, you know. Uh, but, like, I think there, and I don't know, you know, maybe they just weren't as closely inspired, or they changed more stuff around, or, you know, it would be interesting to know what the, like, story is. Yeah. Um. A lot of people have theorized that like Game of Thrones had origins in some sort of RPG thing, but I don't think that's the case. Although uh, J.R. Martin is a uh, tabletop gamer, but I think he plays like superhero games. So, but there's definitely also some moments where it kind of feels like it a little bit. Yeah. So um, I'm trying to think of this other media that like springs to mind that's like based directly on a uh, on a tabletop game without being like franchise media, right? So, I mean, there were the Dungeons and Dragons movies, but they were <laughs> less good. Right. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's just one of those things where you get the wrong people who don't take it seriously. Yeah, like they assume it's just like dumb bullshit and they don't put any um, put any effort into it. There was this uh, fantasy movie I watched. I forget the name of it. It was like really low budget and it was very obviously like a let me tell you about my campaign movie. Uh, but it ended up, it was being so earnest with this, like, no budget at all that it ended up being kind of charming and entertaining. I don't remember mm. the name of it. It was like a series of, like, four movies. <laughs> wow. Uh, but they very much had the same thing. It was like, okay, this character is obviously the cleric, and this is the elf, and this is the thief, and they're all, like, super stereotypical. Um, like, that never really bothered me. I liked it. Uh, to me, adventuring mm-hmm. parties just make sense and it's yeah. fun the way they interact. I don't know why people get down on that sometimes. Like, oh that's a corny D D based thing. Like what Oh uh, yeah. What? I wonder if it's one of those things where like we just take it like too seriously. Mm. Yeah. You know. I mean it's like um like a lot of literature relies on um just like recognizable like arch types. It's it's just shorthand. Oh yeah that's <clears throat> um there was a um essay I Somebody, um, I forget what the main topic was, but the guy had a really interesting point uh, about uh, when people write fan fiction. And it is one of the strengths of fan fiction and basing your game on D&D is kind of like fan fiction in a way. Is that the reader already knows all the rules of the universe and how like this character is supposed to act and how this thing is supposed to work. So you can get right. The only thing you have to tell them is anything that works differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that totally makes sense. Like when you sit down to watch like Lotus Ward, you already know. Like when you see like the dude in robes with a staff, and he starts like saying weird words. You already know. Like oh, okay, he's a wizard. And there's a reason he doesn't wear armor because the book says he can't. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know. You know the dwarf and the elf are gonna like bicker uh, for no reason, even though it's never explained in the show why they bicker. Right. Like because you just have all of that stuff coming from you know either Dungeons and Dragons or Lord of the Rings or something else. Uh, yeah. So the only thing you need to know is like, okay, well, this is takes place on this planet, and there's these dudes and these dudes, and blah blah blah. That right, the antagonism of the orcs and like all, all the goblinoid creatures are just kind of there, and they're angry and they're attacking, and that's never explained. It's just like, of, of course, goblins yeah, yeah, and yeah. orcs. We know, we right, know right, right, right. Right, like you have orcs on one side, elves on the other, and we're gonna fight. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah, like the or like you go into like a weird cave and it's gonna be shit full of monsters. <laughs> you know, like none of those things make natural sense in and of themselves, but you don't. The audience is already on board, so you already know when they're going through a cave. Okay, there's like some ghouls down here. Like yeah. something's gonna happen. Uh, so you get a lot of. Um, like as a storytelling like medium, you can save a whole bunch of like boring exposition because you don't, you know, <laughs> you don't want to have like the dwarf stand up and explain like, well, because your people did to mine a thousand years ago, I think you're a prick. <laughs> you know, like it just sounds terrible. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I like Morrowind. That there's again, that's like one of my favorite RPGs ever, mm-hmm. and they put a cool twist on the dwarves, like. Mm. And you you learn it over time, you know. You're yeah. presented with a pretty standard like fantasy adventure. It's like where are the dwarves, right? Mm. And then you realize like, oh, there are dwarves, except not really. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's really put a cool twist on him. Mm-hmm. But uh, to move forward, okay, so we've got kind of like these expectations that are brought in from D&D. You see like the first episode. It's mm-hmm. like, okay, so we got our adventuring party. There's a dungeon and a dragon. Like, so <laughs> we, we got dungeons fit. and dragons. <laughs> it all fits into place by itself. <laughs> yeah, actually, now that you mentioned it, I hadn't really thought about that. But like the first the opening episode is like basically like a D&D session, like distilled down. Right. You know, like they're in a place. And there's some traps and there's some monsters and holy shit, there's a big one. It's a it's a perfect like if I got to play that that session, I would be really excited that. Yeah, thing. it's super. Yeah. Really it's, yeah, it's very dramatic. And, you know, like all the characters get like a chance to like be cool and do something like impressive. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's a really like, yeah, it's a, in that light, it is a great opener. Uh, it just feels really jarring because then you don't, that's not <laughs> what you continue with. Right. Uh, now we got to start from level one. It's like the GM hands you like a bunch of like level 10 characters and you get to, like go fuck up some monsters. And then he's like, all right, here's your actual characters. <laughs> it's like some, some schlub with eight intelligence and like a level one fighter. So how would you feel about that if someone set up a campaign where it's like... Like, that's the actual out? setup? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, <laughs> I want to say I would roll with it, but I think it would feel like a little bit of a dick punch. Um, <laughs> I think... Um, I, I think you could do it. Um, the problem is, like, uh, I'm, like, overthinking it. Because if you set up, like, okay, this is, like, something that happens in the future. And here's your characters, like, before that. But then you have to, like, get those two points to connect, you know? Right. Uh, that would be, like, a shit ton of work to do. Because you got to, like, make sure that, like, it all, like, works out that way. Um, Wait, and it goes, that goes back to one of your, like, the, the iron rules of Ivan, which is don't betray your players as a game master. Yeah. Uh, unless you have to earn the betrayal. Uh, right. But yeah, um, on the flip side, if you did pull it off and then like, you know, like half a year later, you get to that castle and you know that this was like, that would be kind of cool. You yeah. know, you'd, like if you recognize it, that it was all leading up to this. Sure. Um, yeah, I think that's difficult to do. Um, I've read like um, actual plays of people who like started in the middle, like literally started the campaign in the middle of a fight. And then at some point they asked one of the players like, hey, how did this fight start? And, you know, the thing is like fill it in or you start filling in the information afterwards. Like, OK, so after you kill the uh, the bodyguards of the evil Lich King, blah, blah, blah. Like, here's where we start. Uh, which I think could be really interesting. Start on like a high note, you know, like a lot of movies will start with like, a, uh, like look at Casino Royale. It starts with like, we don't know anything about who the people are, but it has like the whole chase scene and like cool, like Kung Fu or not Kung Fu, but like cool fighting and gun battle. And then it slows down and explains us like, Oh, okay. This is Daniel Craig. He likes to shoot people. Right. <laughs> you know, it's it's building, of- again, you have the, the knowledge and assumptions of the James Bond franchise. Yeah. Like we can assume that this is a bad guy and that dude in the suit is like, is James Bond. And therefore this is good for England. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so there's some of that we get like, again, the shorthand, um, but yeah, it's an interesting, um, like starting off at the campaign in some way that's more, um, because the other thing is, um, this is like a practical problem. If you played a character like all the way to level 10 or whatever, then you know the character pretty well. You know all their spells and abilities and items yeah. and stuff. But if you just like get a character sheet for a level 10 character, like you wouldn't be able to like really play well or play right because you wouldn't know like, oh, okay, this ability is like used at this time and these two things work together and, you know, mm. like all that little. Uh, especially if it's, you know, like the later versions of the game where it's like there's just a lot more going on. True. You know, it's like if you ever loaded up like a Neverwinter Nights module that starts you at like level 15 and you just have no idea what to do. <laughs> Good point, yeah. <laughs> you know, or you're trying to make a character for level 15 and you have no clues. You just end up with a bunch of bullshit. Like he speaks a lot of languages and has a lot of hit points, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <I go. laughs> That's cool. We were hoping for a little more like uh, super fireball going on <laughs> in this module. Um. So, yeah, I think it's one of those things where... Um, but it's an interesting way, though, because it's kind of like uh, 
like foreshadowing like okay if we're doing like zero to hero like you said uh that the end goal is to be not the fumbling buffoon like the end goal is to be the hero um because i think a lot of times like most i would expect uh if somebody did like a survey of like how long dnd games last i would assume most of them end about level like three and a half yeah because by then you've You've either like walked into a trap and all died, or like James keeps eating all the fucking pizza and everyone like the game ended in a fight. <laughs> Unfortunately, you know, yeah. or something happens, you know, uh, to just kind of torpedo it. Uh, so having it, um, so how would you, um, if you're knowing that your game is not going to last more than half a year, let's say that's like the realistic amount of time you got, uh, but you still want to do like zero to hero, what do you do? Yikes, man. I know, right? Um, <laughs> solve that, and you can sell a lot of books. Um, <laughs> like I, the simple answer is, you could speed it up, right? Like we level every session, but maybe that's like not. I don't know. Maybe that's that's not. that's what we've done. Like you yep. presented that, and I was like, yes, this yeah. totally makes sense for me. Yeah, we've experimented. I think for some of the role master stuff we used to do, uh, we were pretty close to something like that. Hmm. Um. But at the same time, I, so like especially with like D and D, like the way the like curve works is that you're supposed to like uh, the first couple levels are supposed to be like really quick, and then it's supposed to like slow down. So you have more time on each level, um, right? So you know, partially to like work the player through all the stuff, and you kind of like feel like these abilities all like fit together and stuff. Um, but at the same. Now I'm wondering, because, like, last time I played a D&D game, it was about a year, and I think we capped out, like, level 8 um, mm. after a year, and that was, I think that's slower than you're intended to, uh, but that was, mm. that was the pace, like, we weren't, we didn't want to hit, like, the double digits, because um, it just, the game starts getting, like, really, there's a lot going on. Yeah, things, um, you know, spellcasters take over. Oh, yeah, this was already the case. Uh, yeah. Like, we had, th that was very clear even before then, but it definitely gets, like, much more hardcore by then. And also... So at what level would you say, then, did the spellcasters start to really dominate the game? Uh, for us, I feel it was even, like, down to, like, level five, six or so. There's kind of, like, some break yeah. points where you get access to, like, certain... Like, once the polymorph spell starts showing up, uh, that really changes because you can suddenly like turn into like a giant monster. Uh, um, right. But a lot of it is just like sheer utility because uh, like the fighter or the rogue uh, can do like their skill things, but they can't really do like much else. Like the spellcaster can kind of like do all of those things, but he can also right. like shoot lasers. Uh, like it was never a case where, at least for fifth edition, they've closed the gap a lot. So like you're not as far out of whack as you would have been like in other versions. Right. Uh, but it was still like noticeable. It was definitely like becoming um, becoming more noticeable. Uh, but at the same time, uh, because we kind of like plateaued on these level for a long time, it was also like it. you could definitely feel like, okay, like I can't improve any of my skills. I can't improve any of my stats. I can't improve anything because, you know, I got to wait until the next level. Um, so it wasn't like super satisfying either. Mm. So I don't know, maybe like just kind of burning through the levels isn't a bad thing. Mm. Um, that's actually something that's reflected really well in the show, show too. Like mm -hmm. once the spellcasters kind of come to the fore, mm -hmm. everyone else is nullified essentially and like everything hinges. Yeah, it becomes like, you know, you have these like magic duels or, you know. Like, totally. Uh, which <laughs> isn't necessarily good in a like tabletop game. Uh, but the show captures it very well how it actually works in D&D. Oh, for sure. <laughs> um, what was I going to say? Oh, there is a, uh, it's like a hack for, I think like 3.5 D&D, but it will work for most things, hmm. uh, called E6. And the idea of E6 is that you level up normally until level 6, and then you can't level up anymore, but every so many thousand XP, you get to pick another feat from the book. That works. Uh, and the effect of it is that it's level six for a couple of reasons. It cuts off like a bunch of spells that normally, like a lot of the, once you get like the really high card matching, a lot of that stuff gets cut off where it like changes the nature of the campaign. Mm -hmm. uh, but it also keeps you at a point where like the big scary monsters will never like stop being big and scary. Like a big like level 20 like dragon is gonna 
like you're still going to have to like do an epic quest and find a cool sword to deal with. It. You can't just like overpower it. Right. Um, so it kind of like caps you in that. And since you still get to like pick feats, so you can start picking up like, you know, some of those like weird feats in the book that nobody takes. Like you get a bonus to fortitude saves or you can speak some actual languages or something. That's cool. Um, so, yeah, it's a really cool idea. Uh, if it was ever going to run um, like 3.x again, it would be something like that because it's kind of cool. And it keeps you like, uh, like your characters are still like bounded in. They're clearly better than like an average asshole in the village, but they're not like superhuman yet. Right. Um, there's an old thing where it's like breaks D&D down into tiers where like level one to five is like you're still basically like a normal person, even if you're just like really skilled. As like level six to ten is like the like capital H like hero like movie hero uh, stage like like past eleven you're moving into like straight up like superheroes, right? Yeah. Uh, so E six basically like caps you off at like the lowest tier of like the big damn hero stage like <laughs> like you could mow down like an entire village on your lonesome or with like one of your friends because you're a big damn hero or big damn villain. Uh, but you can't fight like a hundred trolls on your own. You're just going to get trashed. Right. Right. So, uh, so that's kind of an interesting like take on it. Um, it is kind of funny in the show though, just to like cycle back to it. Cause there's like, as you go into it, like, uh, you, you mentioned with the wizards, like, but there's a lot of moments like that where like, you can tell the characters are like getting more and more powerful cause they're not like afraid of like little things, but then also like very like mundane things will still seem threatening to them sometimes. Because they're still trying to, like, write it as, like, you know, like, they're real characters. Sure, sure. You know, so, like, the um, in one of the fights, like, uh, Deedlet is fighting, like, the Dark Elf, and they're, like, throwing knives at each other and stuff, and, like, <laughs> it's hard to watch and not think, like, oh, it's only 1d4 damage. Like, you're going to be fine. You know, they're all, like, jumping dramatically around, like, trying to dodge, like, the knives and everything. <laughs> you know, because, like, you can't, uh, you can't do, like, D&D hit points on screen. Well, that just like like we had a whole episode where we were, we were mm. talking about that, like how combat is kind of simulated and, and goofy. Yeah, and that, <laughs> yeah, and that's right. sort of dice based system. Yeah, you have to kind of like you know fudge it up. I mean, it could even be you could argue. I think we talked about that at the time. You know, like if you parry and deflect the dagger, like you still technically took a damage, but because your character has lots of hit points left, you weren't like actually wounded. Right. Right. You know, um, so, yeah, it's just one of those things. And also, like, like literal D&D combat would be pretty dull. You know, there's a few characters, like, taking turns hitting each other with swords. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, you can kind of see it a little bit in a couple of the duels between, like, heavily armored characters. There's one when they're in, like, the, I think the dragon, like, uh, mountain pass. And there's, like, the old king dude in full armor. And he fights, like, the other dude in armor. Yeah, that was, that was a cool fight, but it just seemed like I was surprised that um, that just kind of came and went. And yeah, it was. It f- definitely felt like there was supposed like that was supposed to have been longer, maybe, or like more leading up to it because they just like because it was built up so much, and then like they both roll out, and then like the dudes fight, <laughs> and it's like okay, like that that was it, I guess. Right, right. <laughs> like you would think, yeah. I, I was not too <laughs> like the, like I said the fight is really cool and it's very like you know like they put like a lot of effort in there's a lot of the angry man screaming at the sky while holding a sword and, and yeah. you know like they hold their swords like in different ways and I'm sure it's symbolic of a bunch of stuff but sure so like it's very cool but yeah it felt like you could kind of in my mind I was thinking like oh, okay this must be something that the the GM like narrated past this was like the big. Uh, this big encounter, but he didn't really want it to like go haywire, like get the characters killed. So he's just gonna like tell you like how the the evil lord and your king like fight, and like uh... there were some cool twists there, like what uh, the the mysterious sorceress Carla, like mm. she didn't she came in and kind of like shut the whole situation down, and then the story totally transitions into something else which really surprised me 
Yeah, that feels very uh, Japanese because uh, it does that a couple of times where it's like, okay, you figured out what's going on. Guess what? It's like this other e- even more evil person. Right, uh, right. Uh, and that's very like, you know, like a lot of Final Fantasy games will do that where it's like, uh, you know, here's the big plot and we're like fighting to overthrow this evil thing. Like, oh, it turns out that there's an even more evil thing that's in charge and they're trying to turn the whole whole world into a nuclear generator or something. Yeah, yeah, totally. You know, like they're trying to like undo time because their mom didn't love them enough. I'm like, all right, we'll go like give them a hug and fight them. Yeah, but <laughs> it, it's weird because what like Fawn, the the good king, mm-hmm. like he he's he's killed. You'd think that would have huge repercussions. Like, crazy yeah, they just kind of like roll along. Like, all right, whatever. Like, <laughs> yeah, was, we got spa- we got spare kings. He was old. <laughs> Like he he could have just like gotten senile and we had to like kick him out anyway. <laughs> Amazon, we'll we'll get something shipped out in a week. Yeah, you know it's very efficient. Uh, if you, <laughs> yeah, sometimes the consequences because it's so like focused on like this is like the big cosmic battle for Lotus and yada yada. And there's a bunch of stuff about like uh, whether like doing this thing or that thing will like condemn Lotus to, like a time of war or something. And everyone's right. like. Yeah, we were kind of hoping for that. Oh, yeah, we're spoiling the show, by the way. <laughs> yeah, like, if you're listening to this and haven't watched a 30-year-old anime show, uh, we will give you a refund for <laughs> for this episode. <laughs> um, I don't know if our, like, rambling recollection is probably spoiling that much. We are not that talented. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, but yes, uh, if you got this far, spoiler alert, now go back and listen to the first part again. <laughs> There's a few guys, maybe we, we replace them with a cardboard cutout. It, it's not really a big deal. Yeah, you know, maybe maybe it's the other king. There are, there are a few kings. Also, like, um, I thought this was a cool character, but like the like the nomad king yeah uh, he, he comes like rolling in he's like a really cool dude you know he's got he's like very he's slightly like ruthless and but he's also honorable and he's a good fighter and then like he just kind of like forgets about being king for a while he just like, <laughs> ro- ro- like rolls around goes on adventures which again is very like uh D, you know like hey this king wants to like chill with you like all right cool <laughs> right like, he's like level seven let's let's have him uh but yeah like he just forgets then he like rolls around with the other king who has a bigger beard so maybe that's why he's like the main king (laughs) (laughs) yeah there's like i think it's one of those things where like um the world building matters until it doesn't you know what i mean like like the world is there to like have adventures in and have this epic battle and have these characters like roll around and like shout at porn um Put down that fireball. Uh, <laughs> but like the world doesn't matter to the point that it's like a Tolkien-esque like construction, you know, like right. those details. Like it doesn't like we never see, you know, like farmers tilling the fields or anything because it doesn't really matter. Like however the world functions, it functions like off screen. It does all the things it needs to do so that we can go into this cave. <laughs> and uh, and that's like very very D and D you know like everyone like everyone who blogs about role playing games at some point writes how like the economy in D and D doesn't make sense like well yeah because <laughs> no one wants to play that game man I do not want to play that game yeah like uh, it's one of those things you can spend a lot of effort like making it all like be super realistic but that doesn't actually like make the game any better like when we we're talking about like making more realistic game worlds it's in things that matter to the players, you know, like having more interesting villains or having more interesting characters or encounters, not like whether the inflation rate for a silver currency is correct based on the amount of currency that's been injected into the campaign, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like that shit is boring. So, yeah, uh, but it is very like, because, uh, you know, like a lot of games have like these overdeveloped settings that are just like brimming with fucking information. Uh, and this is very much like, like abandoned games because of that. It's like, nope. I'm not gonna I can keep like enough like in my brain head for like one or two like big dense settings. And I don't even like do that deep dives in it. Yeah. Uh, like I like if we're playing a game in a specific setting, I like, you know, like looking up and figuring out like, oh, how does this actually work? Like, is there a thing for it? You know? But like most of it doesn't matter. Yeah. Speaking of that, what did you think about the way they uh, like integrated the gods in with the magic? 
I thought that was pretty cool. Um, that felt like I could definitely see it in like a D and D context, but it also felt like it was a little bit of a zone thing. Um, it's interesting because like a lot of like, especially like JRPGs and stuff, have like like there's always like a bunch of gods, which is common in like D and D. Yeah. Uh, but they're also kind of like they're all they're not like super like direct in how they get involved. They just kind of like hang around and occasionally like talk to a person. We'll have like a favorite hero. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're not like super like hands on. Um, now, if somebody wants to become a god, then he's gonna like fuck up the whole world. Like that's that's like boss fight material. But um, but yeah, I thought like uh, like the that's I think part of what what makes a show works is that it gives you all these little like snippets of things that all like sound kind of cool and you can kind of like envision what they look like, but it doesn't like really fill in the details with it. So like you have a bunch of gods and they're kind of interesting and you hear like, Oh, this God is like, is associated with this. Um, but it doesn't like go, you know, you don't get like a half hour of exposition about how the church hierarchy works or something like it doesn't matter. We just, there's clerics and there's gods. Um, and like everything is kind of like that. You never really learn anything about like the dwarves or how they live, uh, but you learn just enough. Like, okay, we can envision what they look like. We know there's like good elves and evil elves, but that's kind of kind of all of it, right? <clears throat> so this is like very broad strokes. And again, like some of it is because it's just you can rely on the um, like you already know like the basics of it from D and D, so they don't have to explain, and therefore they don't. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah so in a way i like the setting like it's very it sounds stupid to say it's like well suited to like a campaign because obviously it is <laughs> um but it is right like you have everything like you could sit down and play um yeah i think the real challenge would be to like make it not just feel like you're playing D um you know other than like your elf has like uh horizontal ears <laughs> you know uh we've talked about like animation before and like you know being bigger being bolder with stuff like that goes a long way right um and i think lotus war is also like it's like rooted in it in some ways it's more western but like interpreted by japanese writers um because i think if it was like created from the ground up you know, if you compare it to, I'm trying to think of another like fantasy anime show. Um, and pulling a blank, like, but if you compare some like I don't know, like Inuyasha or something, which is mm. pretty popular, um, like it feels very different. Um, it feels very, you know, more like thoroughly Japanese. Whereas this Lotus War is very much like taking these things that you know the original players and writers understood up to a certain point but they were not like cultural touchstones in japan right you know like for them they're taking is you know like they were having the same experience i imagine that we were watching like vhs tapes of like robotech and uh lotus war you know that's the stuff that's coming from like a different cultural like reference point and so it seems it feels very like uh uh like significant mm-hmm. you know and sometimes like you over you over um, overanalyze it, like, oh, this must be symbolic of this and this. Like, no, it's just because they're not used to it and they think European armor looks cool. Right. Or whatever. <laughs> you know, like, in the same way that we think, like, samurai shit is cool because it's not yeah. part of our cultural, like, background. Right. Um, so it has that sort of, like, uh, hybrid, like, vigor, I guess, where you can see, like, which elements are, like, from each part and how they, like, combine, which I think is really cool. Yeah, yeah. Certainly, the sword fights are not Western at all. Like, I found that really interesting the way they were. Yeah, they remind me a lot of a samurai movie sword fights. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's so many scenes. Actually, I almost like start keeping track of them where like two characters will fight, so they'll both start running, and you see like shots of them like running real fast, and then like they slash each other, or, like there's a spray of blood, and one of them falls. And that's like maybe with less of the running, but it's like straight up like a samurai like duel. Oh, totally. You know, yeah. they're standing and like, shroom, they both draw and then one of them falls down. Like, right. uh, yeah, that's like 100% Japanese. And then at the same time, you have like the fight with the two kings in armor. They're just mm-hmm. like bat- battering each other. Uh, that's like straight <laughs> up. It reminded me of the fight, if you've seen the Excalibur movie, where King Arthur fights uh, Lancelot, I think it is, at the river. Oh, and they're just like, 
Yeah, uh, they're they're both wearing armor. They're just like pummeling each other with their swords. Like there's just no like elegance or anything. Uh, <laughs> it reminded me a lot of that, and I wouldn't be surprised if you know they had seen stuff like that and like okay, that must be like what Western Western fantasy is like. Sure, and yeah, so, I mean they were doing this in the late '80s, where like there's really no internet. There's not like video streaming. You can't just look stuff up. So they're they're yeah they're just their D and D books and. You know, whatever they kind of cobble together. Oh, exactly. And also, like, some of that stuff was like a couple of years later, um, yeah. like going over there, because like DD starts blowing up like the early 70s. Um, I know, like, just to like Scandinavia, RPGs really don't start hitting until like mid 80s. So that's like mm-hmm. a good 10 year gap where wow. be- before then it was like if you were like a college student or university student or you knew somebody who had been to England or something, they might have brought home books. Uh, but but there was very little of like, and then it kind of like blows up. Japan is the same way, where it's like there's kind of like that like gap. Um, <laughs> one interview I uh, was listening to, the guy says the other reason was that when RPGs start showing up, it's right in the middle of the eighties, and that is simultaneous with like the Famicom. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so where like nerd culture in like the West benefited from being around at a time when like. Like, I can play a little bit of Atari 2600, but even back in the day, I couldn't play that much of it. Like, you're going to be bored playing Vanguard pretty fast. Right. <laughs> uh, it's a little different when you can sit and play Zelda and Dragon Quest, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there was just more of a... Uh, because the hobby didn't have as much time to, like, get its roots in unopposed, in a way, um, it didn't blow up as big as it did, like, in the West, although it still, like, is pretty big. Um but yeah, so it's just one of those things, like every culture like has done it a little differently, you know, like we talked about Scandinavian gaming a little bit before, like Japanese gaming is like very different. Um, you know, every everyone just has their different things, their different like preferred games just based on what was like a big deal at the culturally at the time or what came out first or what set the set the baseline. Yeah, it's cool. So I approve. So yeah, it's interesting stuff. Um yeah. But yeah, so I guess I don't know if there's really like a big conclusion to it. Like it's this like uh, magical mush. I think part of why it also feels so earnest is it feels a lot like what everyone was doing with their D and D games as kids. We were just mm-hmm. like ta- taking random shit we thought was cool and putting that into our games. And D and D itself was like that. You know, it's like okay, what if we have like some stuff from Conan the Barbarian? Then here's like alignments from like uh from elric and then here's some magic some magic weapons that we made up and this monster is this like plastic dinosaur we bought in the store <laughs> it's, it's just like a bunch of bullshit that some people except they weren't kids they were like you know fat old dudes but they like put it all together and like okay this is all the things we like and think are cool and then when people got the books they said oh we don't understand half of this shit but I have an idea. Like, what if there was, like, a cool vampire in a castle and the castle could fly, you know? You know, that's how all the, the stupid, like, campaigns work. And then, you know, people in Japan are the same. They did the same thing. Like, well, we don't understand half of this shit because the book is the English. <laughs> um, but we get most of it and we're going to put our own shit in it. You know, here's right. all the things we think are cool. And then that goes on, you know, to inspire, like, uh, you know, like Final Fantasy and Dragon Quest and all that stuff. Uh, yeah. If you play like the original Final Fantasy, uh, it absolutely feels like a Japanese take on like a D&D game, uh, even <laughs> with like monsters straight out of like the Monster Manual. Why not? Yeah, so, makes sense yeah. to me. I mean, there's no predecessor to that, so you got to grab from what you can get. And making oh, video yeah. games is really freaking hard. So <laughs> yeah, you know, and a lot of it is also like deliver like homage. You know, like oh, I'm into this stuff. This is really cool. I want to like show it to a new to new people. Oh, yeah. You know, there's a lot of that, too. So, yeah, I think Lotus War, like, is wonderful and occasionally bad, uh, but mostly wonderful uh, because it's this, like, melange of just, like, random stuff that people involved thought was cool and random stuff they took out of the source material. Um, And, yeah, so I would say definitely, like, go check it out. Um, If nothing else, there's the cool Desert King who apparently can just, like, take a few months off work. (laughs) 
<laughs> right. right. I guess nobody's going to tell him no, but usually there's like a rebellion or something if you try that shit. <laughs> <laughs> Delegating, man. He's a master delegator. That's one of those yeah. things that's in the background. Yeah. And also, like, who's going to tell him he's taking too much time off? He's like a master swordsman. <laughs> You know, he's just going to fuck you up. <laughs> well, his doctor's note is that the world is falling apart, apparently. Yeah, that's fair. Like, hey, uh, I can sit here and, like, do do the tax thing for all you people, but uh, there's going to be dragons eating the whole place. Or I can take my, my cool sword and my cool mustache, and I can go, like, fight the dragons. And they're all like, yeah, go fight the dragons, and we'll deal with taxes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You know, that's like the, the the. I think that's like what the French Revolution was about. I haven't, I haven't read Avar in a while, but that seems pretty familiar. Yeah, I mean, like the character designs are cool. Like they, you know, they 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 know enough, and they put a good stylistic twist. That it's not. I mean, you brought up like the D and D movies, and mm -hmm. uh, that's, you know, when when people don't know and don't care, and are yeah, just like this kind of. <laughs> taking little jabs here and there at the genre you know that's when it's like get out of here but yeah it's like anytime you see like in a tv show or a movie they have somebody who is pretending to be video games and they're always like hammering away the controller and like waving around in the air in a way that like nobody playing halo has ever done <laughs> you know <laughs> so yeah it's the same kind of thing like this is obviously meant by people who were like in love with what they were doing and whether it always succeeded or not. Um, yeah, they, they gave it their best shot and it still holds up pretty well, not an unqualified success, but if you remember that it was a TV show and not like a feature film uh, yeah. and kind of like level your expectations. Some of the animation is quite good. Some is, well, <laughs> it's, it's animation. It moves. <laughs> it's comparable to GI Joe. I'll say that, which is fine. Yeah, yeah, I would say, or like, uh, this is I recently like rewatched Robotech. Uh, in some places, it is generally like at least like Lotus War doesn't have character like outfits changing colors mid scene, <laughs> or like literal like hand drawn rocket trails in one cut. Because they had f apparently forgotten to animate like the smoke trails from missiles, so there's a, a brief cut. It's on the scene or in the screen for like two seconds where it's just like hand drawn like smoke clouds, like with a pencil. <laughs> it's terrible. Uh, so there's none of that here. Like it's all like feels very professional. Uh, there, I don't think there's even a clip show. I might be wrong. Maybe there is, mm -hmm. but um, but yeah, there's to me. There's also the charm of watching it and knowing that this is you know pre digital. All this is analog and done by people. Mm. And so, like, I'm willing to give it some space. And again, yeah. I just love the character. The, the dragons look different and really cool. Like, I love the way they did the dragons in the show. Oh, yeah. Actually, um, a lot of the monster designs are really good. But the dragons are, like, A+. plus. Yeah, they definitely, yeah. Um, definitely nailed that. So, yeah, there's a lot. Like, it's a visually interesting. All the character designs are, like, really, really stark and serious. You don't get yeah. the sort of, like... Um, you know, like they're all very distinct. You can tell at a glance who everybody is, and they all have there. Uh, so it's very, yeah, it's it's uh, it wins more than it loses. Uh, yep, yep. You just can yell at porn on the TV. <laughs> yeah, night. and take a drink every time somebody shouts his name, and uh, <laughs> we'll we'll see you after episode three because that's as far as you're gonna go. <laughs> <laughs> but do like sit in there. It is a little bit of a slow grind for the first couple episodes. Or after the first episode, it's takes a little bit to kind of like get you up to speed, right? Uh, like it picks up its momentum. It it's not afraid to be like a long burn. I think it's like twenty seven episodes or something. Like it, mm -hmm. it goes a while, and they're not in a hurry to get you to the conclusion. So yep. check it out, yeah. though. It's cool. Yeah, yep. absolutely. Uh, any like closing thoughts, random nerd stuff you've encountered in the last couple of weeks that's worth sharing or mentioning? Uh, let's see. I don't know. Like, I'm still stuck in my weird, like, catching up on anime a bit through Hulu. So, like, I, I don't know. I finished up season two of Psychopaths. I guess there's a third oh, one that yeah, I won't watch. And there's also another one that's pretty similar uh, called Id Invaded, I think, or Id hmm. Invasion. Okay. Uh, so yeah, I've been into like this, uh, kind of anime, true sci-fi, true crime oriented kind of things. Yeah. 
but the writing is good. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know, just like crime writers, like com- complex scripts and like good character development. So, yeah, and some like really like weird shit going on. Yeah, yeah. Which I, <laughs> weird is good for me. Just put me in a <laughs> weird land and I'm happy. That is true. Um, I had the experience of. Uh... The last nerd thing I acquired was a gigantic stack of uh, cheap Chinese dice, and I kind of changed my mind. I usually don't always buy Chessex, but these are, like, basically, like, flawless. Uh, and I think they're, like, $30 for, like, 20, like, sets of dice. Holy shit. So, yeah, they're just, they're all over Amazon. There's a bunch of different ones, and I thought, I bought them, um, I bought one pack, and then I got one sent as a birthday present. And I thought they were going to be like, oh, I'm going to have to throw like half of it out because they're going to be like miscast or blobby or whatever. But they're like perfect. They're a little lighter than Chessex dice. But other than that, like they are perfectly good dice. Now I have so many fucking dice. I don't know what to do with them. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, never a bad time to like stock up on your dice. Right on, man. And yeah, I think that kind of will uh, conclude our run on... Uh, anime-oriented topics. Not that it hasn't been fun, but there are plenty of people that do that. Um, Yeah, Uh, this concludes the episode. Uh, We always appreciate our our listening audience, and we'll be back in a couple weeks. Uh, Hopefully back sooner uh, than than last. And uh, enjoy the Super Bowl, and have a great week, everyone. (laughs) 